1: To the book, chapter one. And we began this morning, we begin the seven letters to the church of Jesus Christ. Particularly the letter to the church at Ephesus. We'll begin that this morning. So if you're here, you're in a good place because we're starting these letters. Someone once said, it is very difficult to live in the here and now. We all want to live in the future. I've read that and I thought it's true. I don't know about you, but for me personally, and as a matter of fact, many of you have told me, that there is a great anticipation and excitement to jump right into chapter 6 want to move right to the great tribulation. And, you know, people have said, man, I can't wait to get to chapter 6 and can't wait to get to the good stuff, to the action stuff. And uh, you know, and if you know, chapter 6 begins the action stuff. I mean, the lamb starts Bursting open the seals, the pale rider starts leaving a trail of death. Demons are flying, blood pouring, earth quaking, sky falling. Pestilence is devouring the land. Sixty-pound hailstones are coming down on people's heads. And why do we want to get to these things? Because we are very sick people. And sadistic people. It's true. You know it's true. That's why you're laughing. And you know, many commentators, it's an interesting thing, because many commentators they skip chapters one, two, and three and because they want to get to the exciting stuff. Well, chapters two and three deal with the letters to the churches. An eighth of the book of Revelation is the letters to the seven churches. And it's very important, very important, paramount as a matter of fact, not to jump over these chapters and to listen to Jesus as he develops the whole scenario. And if you skip over these chapters, many times skipping chapters lends itself to misinterpretation. You can't skip stuff in the book of Revelation especially, you can't skip stuff. Say amen. Because it's like if I write you a letter and you read the opening and you read the ending and then you try to go tell somebody what I wrote about. You don't know what I wrote about, you skip stuff. And many people do that with the book of Revelation, especially in chapters two and three. Very important because these are very important letters. Now, as we pointed out last week, this is a very unique book for two reasons. Not only because of all the stuff that's happening in chapter 6 through 19, but it's very unique because it is the only book of all the 66 books in the Bible that promises a blessing to those who read, to those who hear, and to those who keep the words of this prophecy. That's found in Revelation chapter 1 verse 3. There's a promise to you if you read this book, not a curse to you. There's no need to be fearful of this book. The Bible says if you read it, you hear it, and you keep it. There is a promise to you. So for that reason, this book is a very unique book. But secondly, the book is unique because it, of all the 66 books, to my knowledge, has a built-in outline. I like to call it a heavenly outline. If you don't have this verse marked in your Bible, Revelation chapter 1, verse 19 If you don't have that verse marked in your Bible, do it now. Revelation chapter 1 verse 19 says, Write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. You see that? It's a heavenly outline. It tells us, gives us the divisions, if you will, of the entire book. The entire book of Revelation is divided in three sections. The first section is chapter 1. We covered that last week. It deals with the things that John has seen. And what did John see? He saw Jesus. He described in great detail in an awesome, poetic, powerful, dramatic picture Jesus Christ. We saw that last week. That's the first section. And then the second section is chapters 2 and 3, of which we will begin to deal with this morning. The second section. It deals with the things which are. What? The church. The things which are. Of which we will start this morning and probably complete sometime next year. Well, next year's in two weeks, you know. So the first section, chapter one, the second section, chapter two and three, and the third section covers chapters four through 22. The last section, and it deals with the things which will take place after this. The Greek word for after this is metatauta. Let me spell that for you. You need to write this down. It's very important. Metatauta, M-E-T-A, T-A-U-T-A. Metatauta, after this. Now, you will notice in chapter 4 of the book of Revelation. As I said, we'll get to it sometime next year. Chapter 4, the phrase, After this or after these things, metatauta is used twice. After this, after what? After the church, period. In chapter 4, we hear the words, come up here. Jesus says to John, come up here. And after that, you don't read of the church until chapter 19 where we're in this heavenly potluck called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. Very interesting. Now, do we see see people getting saved during the tribulation period? Yes. An angel is flying and preaching the everlasting gospel to those who dwell on the earth. But we do not read of the church because after this, The church has been raptured off the earth, and then we are in a heavenly scene. Chapters 4 and chapters 5. The church is in heaven, you see? So the rapture of the church, I believe, takes place at chapter 4, and then we have the heavenly scene in chapters 4 and 5, and the church is in heaven. Meanwhile, back on the ranch, chapter 6 begins this awful, great, and terrible day called the Great Tribulation or called the time of Jacob's trouble. It's an awful time upon the earth from chapter 6 through chapter 19 that is the period of the Great Tribulation. In chapter 19, we see Jesus returning again and the armies of the world gather together for this battle of Armageddon in the valley of Megiddo, where the Bible says that the blood will flow as high as the horse's mane. And if you've seen my presentation when I was in Israel, I took a picture. Of the vast valley of Armageddon or the Megiddo Valley. And I had to take two pictures to, you know, the panoramic kind of shot to get it complete. It's vast. 200 million man army will gather in this area to fight against Jesus Christ. But guess what? He wins. He wins. So we see that in chapter 19. And then in chapter 20, we have the millennium or the thousand-year reign of Christ where Jesus will rule in righteousness. Chapter 21 and 22, deal with the new heaven and the new earth. You see, Revelation is a piece of cake. It's a piece of cake. It's not that difficult at all. Now, before we begin this morning, in the second section, beginning with the Church of Ephesus, dealing with the church, I want to point out a few things that I think that you will find fascinating and interesting. And again, you want to write these things down. There are seven letters written to seven churches, as you know already. And the letters can be read or applied on different levels as they have a fourfold application. Now, here's what I mean. As you study these letters, They can be applied locally. In other words, there really were seven churches in the country that we now call Turkey or Asia Minor. And these were actual churches with actual people, actual Christians, just like there's a church in Apex, a Calvary Chapel and lots of churches in Apex. This was an actual church. It can be applied locally. The letters can also be applied ecclesiastically or applied to the church. In other words, anyone who wants to learn about the church or who is involved in the church can learn big-time lessons what the church should and should not be doing or what the church should watch out for. So as you read the letters, they can apply to a local scene or to the church scene ecclesiastically. Or they can apply, thirdly, personally. In other words, you can study these letters and apply them to your life personally, on a personal basis. We can learn personally, and you can learn personally what you ought to be doing and what you should not be doing. How is it that you should have Apply this to your personal life. Now, how do you know that, Rodney? Well, jump ahead just a bit. In verse 7 of this chapter, chapter 2, verse 7, it says, he who has an ear, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. So you can apply these letters on a personal basis, personally. And then they can be applied prophetically. In other words, these churches represent seven successive stages in the unfolding of church history, and it begins, um, it begins actually with the church, and it consummates, if you will, or ends at the rapture, as I said, and then chapter four. So they can be applied locally, ecclesiastically, personally, and prophetically. Now keep in mind, when John was writing this, this was prophetic to John. To John, it was prophetic. When John was giving this message or this letter to the church, things had not unfolded yet. It was prophetic. But for us, it is historic because we are coming to the end of the church age and we look back on history. So very important to understand that. Locally ecclesiastically, personally, and prophetically. And not only can these letters be applied on different levels, but also each letter has a similar outline. Very interesting. Each letter has a similar outline. At the beginning and the ending of each letter, there is a positive affirmation a corrective exhortation, an eternal motivation, and a divine revelation. At the beginning, at the end of every chapter, they have a positive affirmation, except to the church at Laodicea. Interesting. They are told what they're doing good, how they're doing a great job, and what pleases the Lord. A positive affirmation. And after this positive affirmation, he gives a corrective exhortation. The areas that they need to make some adjustments and what they need to do to change, with the exception of Smyrna and Philadelphia. Okay? Positive affirmation, corrective exhortation, and also each letter gives an eternal motivation. In every case, Jesus is motivating these Christians to make changes based on eternity. In other words, Jesus says, don't forget about heaven. Because how they respond is going to have eternal ramifications. And lastly, each letter has a divine revelation. Now, this is fascinating to me. In each of the seven letters... Jesus takes a phrase, get this, or an aspect of what we saw in chapter one, and Jesus reiterates it one by one. One part is given to each of the seven churches. Each letter begins with a personal description of Jesus Christ. Now you might remember last week, Jesus said, I am he who was alive and now, and and, and, and who is alive and was dead. Now I'm alive. Well, he says to the church at Smyrna, I am he who was dead and now alive. To the church at Pergamos, he said he has a sharp two-edged sword. You remember from last week, John gave us that powerful description that out of his mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword, which speaks of what? The word of God. So it is very interesting that each description that John gave us in chapter one, we find a piece of that description in chapters two and three, speaking to the church. Very fascinating to me. So, beginning in chapter two, with the church at Ephesus, God gives us these seven churches, and he gives us, if you will, an X-ray of the spiritual condition of the church. And that's what we're going to look at for the next several weeks. An x-ray of their spiritual condition. Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. If you are there, say a hearty amen. To the angel, the church at Ephesus, right. These things says he who holds the seven stars. See, that was one of the descriptions in chapter 1, remember? These things says he, Jesus, who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Now, giving your attention, think about it. Think about this. Chapters 2 and 3 is the only record of anything that Jesus ever wrote down. Ever. Now, wait a minute, Roddy. I know my Bible, man. I remember the time when Jesus leaned down and he wrote in the dirt and all those guys disappeared. Yeah, that's true. But we don't know what he wrote. Interesting. Chapters 2 and 3 are the only recorded Words that we know what Jesus wrote, and we know that Jesus is writing a letter to the angel of the church at Ephesus. Now, the word angel is the Greek word angelos, and it means a messenger, it can refer to a divine messenger or a human messenger. But most people believe, and I believe, that it is a reference to the church, the pastor of the church, the angel. Now, you might remember in chapter 1, verse 20, John saw Jesus walking in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks and holding the seven stars in his right hand. And the Lord told us, and we saw it last week, that the seven golden candlesticks were the seven churches, and the stars are the pastors of those churches. Now, this verse gives me great comfort because it tells me that the pastor of the church, in this case, moi, I am being held in the hand of the Lord. And not only am I being held in the hand of the Lord, but the church, this church is being held in the hand of the Lord. So I need not worry about this church. This is his church and I am a shepherd in his hand. This is really great news. And so Jesus is telling us that he's holding the pastors of these churches and that he is in the midst of the people and that he is aware of what's going on among his people. Now, the church that Jesus is writing to is Ephesus. You might remember, Paul the Apostle started this church. He showed up in Ephesus, and it's found in Acts chapter 19, and he met with some believers. And he felt like there was something missing in their life. And so Paul says to them, he says, have you received the spirit since you believed? He showed up among these believers and he thought something was missing. And what was missing was the baptism of the Holy Spirit, was the work of the Holy Spirit to empower the believers. And so Paul says to them, did you receive the spirit since you believed? And they said, well, we don't even know what you're talking about. We never heard of this. And Paul explained to them more fully, and he prayed for them to receive the power of the Holy Spirit there in Ephesus. Now, the word, the name Ephesus means darling, D-A-R-L-I-N-G, like you call your wife. Darling, it means darling. And this city was a beautiful, darling, influential magnificent city with a population of approximately 300,000 people. The city of Ephesus was called the Star of Asia or the Light of Asia. It was the center of worship of the goddess Artemis or Diana. And Artemis, she was the goddess of hunting and the patroness of young girls. The temple to Artemis was used for prostitution. And this is in the Darling City. The temple was used for prostitution. It was ranked one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was 425 feet long, 220 feet wide, 127 pillars, 6 feet in diameter, and a 60-foot wall. Ephesus was a beautiful, immoral, violent city. And in the midst of this beautiful, immoral, violent city, God planted a church. A church that became a famous church in a famous city. Paul the Apostle, Timothy, Aquila, Priscilla. Tradition tells us that John himself preached in the church at Ephesus. It was a place of great preaching and great privilege. They had a rich tradition, great fruit, and powerful impact. And yet, the church in Ephesus had a real problem. And that is why Jesus is writing this letter. Now, before the Lord deals with their problem, he first of all gives them an affirmation. He tells them what they're doing good. Notice in verses two through four, I know your works, Jesus says, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles. You see, people will say they are apostles and are not and they have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love.
0: You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923.